Sakpase in Minnesota. Welcome back to another episode of Parlay. I'm your host today, Dominique Pierre Toussaint, aka Mr. Neat, aka Dom, aka Hooks. We have a special guest in the building with us tonight. This individual is the true meaning of leading by example. And after these short break to pay some bills and hear a few words from our local sponsors, we will get to know our newly elected Hennepin County attorney, Mary Moriarty. Welcome back to Parlay. And as I said before, the break, we have a great special guest joining us tonight. Sakpase, Mary. Mapule. Ah, okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you for taking the time. Thank you. To I'm come honored in. to be here. All right, all right. Now, before we dive in, Mary, I'd like to say congratulations on becoming our newly elected Hennepin County attorney. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy that you're in this position. But before we talk about some other things, I would like to say it was a pleasure meeting you a few months back. And the conversation that we had actually made me open my eyes on a few things um, that's been going on in the community. And also the way that you paused to listen to me and want to learn more about me actually drawn me to you even more. So, so thank you for that. That's very kind of you to say. So I'm going to stop for a minute and say we're going to rewind a little bit in time to a place where you first cried or first had a happy smile on your face or when you opened your eyes to the world that we're in. Tell us a little bit about where you were born. I was born in Benson, Minnesota, which is a small town out west of here by Morris, uh, Minnesota. Morris, Minnesota. Morris, Minnesota. Tell us a little bit about the dynamics in your home. Did you have both parents, single parents, guardian? Yeah, so uh, I my parents divorced when I was about two or three, and my mom and I moved up to Grand Rapids, Minnesota. I know there's a Grand Rapids, Michigan. So yeah, Grand Rapids, Minnesota. We lived in a trailer park, uh, and my mom taught English at high school. And one of my very favorite memories of that period of time is that as an English teacher, my mom also directed plays. And she directed West Side Story. And she convinced the hockey coach to uh, make his players be the Jets and the Sharks. Um, but I sat through every rehearsal. It was kind of daycare, kind of, you know. Um, and so at one point I knew every lyric to every song in West Side Story. Um, and I think that kind of launched my interest in Broadway musicals. So we, we lived there until my mom remarried. Um, my stepfather and my stepfather, my mom and I, and my two stepsisters moved to Bemidji. Uh, lived there for a couple of years, and then we moved down to New Ulm in southern Minnesota. And that's where I went to school until I graduated from New Ulm Public High School. Did you, did you do any extracurricular activities there? Many, yes. I was in three sports. So Okay, okay, three sports. Well, volleyball, we didn't have soccer. I think I really would have liked soccer, but we didn't have it at the time. So it was uh, volleyball, basketball, and softball. I, was, I wrote for the high school newspaper I was in the band, the choir, the jazz band, the jazz choir, the marching band, and the pep band. Stayed busy, man. Stayed oh, I busy. loved it. I, I loved all the musical activities. It was great. Okay. Well, let me, let's go a little bit 
past the level of high school. Mm-hmm. What was your journey after high school? Yeah, you know, I also I worked one summer for the New Alm Journal. At one point, New Alm, which is only about fourteen thousand people, had its own newspaper. Um, and I worked there and I, I thought that I wanted to be a journalist and I ended up going to McAllister College. Uh, I ended up having a double major in political science and history. And at some point I was thinking, well, what am I going to do with my degrees in political science and history? And maybe I should just, uh, apply for the, the test, the entrance test to law school. And maybe I should just apply to law schools and maybe I should just go. Um, and so I did look at some law schools out in Washington, D.C., but ultimately I ended up going to the University of Minnesota Law School. Okay. Was, did you really enjoy becoming an attorney? No, not at all. Um, law school for me was kind of a means to an end. Um, it was difficult. Uh, and just the environment there. I actually, I was very naive. I went to the University of Minnesota Law School thinking, because my dad was a lawyer and, and he was a trial lawyer. So I was in court. I saw him in court. And I thought that most people wanted to be trial lawyers in court. But that was not the case. And in fact, at the University of Minnesota, most of my colleagues wanted to be in big law firms, do corporate law, that sort of thing. There were really very few people who wanted to go into public interest law and be in a courtroom. Wow. Well, I remember the day that you came into Olio and Mm -hmm. hung out with me for a little bit. And you listened to my words, but I also got to listen to some of your words and learn a little bit about your perspective. But there was one story that I would love the listeners to hear that actually caught my heart and um, would love for you to share a little bit about that story again. Okay, thanks. Um, So I was chief public defender in Hennepin County and the Minneapolis Foundation had a bail forum. So in other words, it was a discussion about bail. Um, And there, it was an all day forum. I was just a participant in the audience and they had different panels. And you should remember, understand that bail is really about uh, whether someone who is charged with a crime is kept in jail before their case is resolved. So people are presumed to be innocent. Um, and the question really was, how can we do better about bail? Because there are a lot of studies that show that even keeping somebody in jail for 24 hours can completely destabilize their lives and cause them to actually interact with the system more down the road. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to have some creative discussions about the problems here in Minnesota. We have extremely high racial disparities, um, and that carries through to the people who are held in custody. Um, very high percentage of uh, black community community members who are held um, and cannot make bail. So one of the panels had uh, three members on it. One was a prosecutor, uh, a white man, uh, who started talking about the people who were held and saying the words over and over, thug. He was calling them thugs. Mm. And it was a pretty large crowd, and there were many people of color in the room. And it was that kind of situation where um, every, everybody kind of understands something's going on and everybody's looking at each other and people are starting to talk and the, the voices go up and, and nobody's really listening anymore. Everybody's looking around like, what's, what's happening here? And I happened to be at a table, um, with people I knew and right across from me were two of my friends, two black women. And one of them looked at me and said, you got your people. 
<laughs> and I knew that that meant, are you going to say something? Exactly. Meaning you white woman, are you going to say <laughs> something about your, your people? Um, this white man who was um, saying something um, very derogatory. And I said, yes. Um, and I knew I was going to say something. Um, there was no question in my mind because I had certainly come to understand that when I hear something like that, um, particularly as a, a white woman, if I don't say anything in the moment, I'm really complicit in what's happening. And it should not be a burden for the people of color in the audience to have to speak up. So I knew I was going to say something, but to be honest, at the time, I, I knew this prosecutor and I knew he was kind of a hothead and I knew his reaction would probably not be favorable. So I was just thinking through, let's see, how can I say this in a way that he might be able to hear it? So during the Q&A, which happened pretty quickly, I asked for a microphone um, and I said to him, I'm asking you to rethink your use of the word thug because it's racially charged. And he lost his mind. He, he just started screaming into the microphone and was saying horrible things. I remember him saying bullets in people's heads and it just it was it was so awful that um, the, the person from the Minneapolis Foundation who had organized this grabbed a microphone. She was in the audience and she ran up to the stage and she faced him and she said, take a deep breath, calm down. This was one of your colleagues. Yes, yes. And he, he was an elected county attorney. Um, so in charge of an entire office. Um, and Shonda Smith Baker um, oh, was yes. the person who grabbed a microphone and went up and said, whoa, no, you know, stop. Um, and that was pretty much the end of the panel, but there was a break right after that. And so there was kind of a, you know, there was refreshments in the lobby. So I went out there and I was talking to somebody and this same prosecutor came right up behind me and started yelling at me. I turned around. He was actually a lot taller than I am. And he was right in my face. Um, his face was red. He was pointing his finger and he said, you didn't have to do me like that. Um, and I took that as you didn't have to say something in front of people. And I said, yes, I did. And then he screamed, then, then you and I can never work together again and other things. He was so close to me that Shonda, um, and, and Brandon, who worked for the Minneapolis Foundation, yeah. had to drag him away from me. Wow. Um, yeah, to get him away. And I was really shaken up internally. I didn't kind of want to show that to anybody, but it was, it was a, terrible experience. And as I walked back into the room, um, people came up to me um, and I started to see a pattern there. Um, there were white, many white people who came up to me and said, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And then every black person who came up to me said, how are you? Are you okay? And it was such a distinctive pattern. I asked one of my black friends and I said, I, I couldn't help but notice that the reactions were very different. And she said, oh, yeah, of course. We know how dangerous it is to do something like that. So we want to know how you are. Really dangerous. And that's exactly what I was thinking when you were telling me the story because, you know, elephant in the room, I'm a male of color. And in my position in the community... I have to always think about what I say or what I do because it could affect my career quickly. I have to be two steps ahead. So, hence, what happened after? 
Yeah. What happened after is I lost my job uh, as chief public defender. Um, and that was one of the reasons used to justify not reappointing me. Um, and the way it was characterized was that I had called a justice partner a racist in public. Um, and I've told you exactly what I said. Um, and so I did, I was, I was suspended actually for a period, two days before Christmas, I was suspended and I was reinstated three months later in March of 2020, right when COVID started. Um, and then I was not reappointed at the end of the year. And I had a long time to think about that particular incident. And it was, uh, very eye opening for me in, you know, for reasons you just talked about. Um, I have certainly talked to many, many friends of color who have talked about the calculations that they have to make to decide whether to say something every day. It's like many, many times over and over and over. Should I intervene? Should I point this out? What will be the risk to me? And quite honestly, in looking back at that event, as I said, I remember thinking, hmm, this is going to be unpleasant because I knew he was a hothead and probably wouldn't react well. And so as I got the microphone and I was thinking about saying something, I was only thinking about how can I say this in a way he might hear it? Never, ever once in my mind did it cross my mind that I might lose my job over mm. that or that might be used as a justification for taking a job that that I loved away. I had been a public defender for 31 years wow. and chief public defender for six years. Um, and so it was a, an eye-opening experience because I realized even more um, about my white privilege that even though this ultimately you know, did play a role in me losing my job, um, that at the time I never thought about that. Because I, I was kind of like, eh, I'm a white woman, chief public defender, whatever. I know this is going to be unpleasant. But I didn't think of any consequences past that. I didn't have to. I didn't think I had to. Um, but knowing that my friends of color have to go through that every day, multiple times, um, was something that had a great impact on me. And it ultimately was one of the reasons why I decided to run for county attorney. Because I wanted to be in a position to be able to talk about race, which we desperately need to do in our community, um, and be in a position where I could, um, and I, I talk about race all the time, and I'm unafraid of doing that, but really be in spaces where people have very difficult times talking about race, and also acknowledging the, the horrible, horrible impact the criminal legal system has had on people of color. We've got to acknowledge that, before I think we can move forward. And after George Floyd was murdered, I was thinking in my 31 years, this is the best opportunity to have a sort of racial reckoning and a reckoning about how harmful the system has been. And I saw that starting to slip away. Um, and so that was certainly, that whole experience was one of the reasons I ran because I really, really wanted to uh, speak out um, about racial equity and speak out in these kinds of spaces and make it possible for other people to speak out as well. And I was going to ask that, too, during 2020, during the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know, what else did you learn during that time to enhance your skills and your passion? Yeah, that was a fascinating time. I mean, getting reinstated at the end of March threw me right into COVID. Um, 
And as chief public defender, uh, one of the things that I focused on, I mean, practically the only thing I focused on was trying to lead a group of people um, who were very committed to our clients and also extremely frightened about the idea of getting COVID um, because they were seeing our clients in jail. Um, and so uh, Sheriff-elect Dewana Witt and I uh, oh, okay. became friends, and she was running the jail at the time. And we really worked hard to create an environment at the jail where our clients were safe and also opportunities for our staff to interact with clients in a way that they could represent them well, but where they were safe. And so I spent much of that year um, working with them and also dealing with the fallout from George Floyd. Um, we were the epicenter I mean, I don't know how many people know this, but George Floyd was the largest protest in history. Well, um, I did not know that. Yeah, in this country. Um, and the epicenter was here. And, you know, really trying to lead a group of people who had all kinds of feelings about that um, and make them understand that I cared about them personally and that that was the most important thing. Um, and really just thinking through... Um, there, there were times where, so, so after I got reinstated, I had a reprimand and the three, I was told that I had to get along better with my justice partners. And there were times where my lawyer, um, it was very clear, you know, if anything happened, if a justice partner got angry, I could lose my job any minute. And I remember a time when one of our lawyers had been ordered to go to trial, um, he did not feel safe going to trial. His client did not feel safe going to trial. I had talked to the chief judge about it in the morning, and the chief judge said, I don't care, you're going to trial. And so over the, we were supposed to come back at 1.30 um, to start trial, and I went over with our lawyer, but I had a, a conversation with my lawyer, and I said, what will happen to me if I refuse to go to trial? And he said, you will be fired. And so the walk from our office over to the county where I knew I was going to have to take a stand to say, we will not go forward at trial. It's not safe for our lawyer and our client. Um, if it came to that, I would probably maybe be held in contempt. But in any event, I would lose my job. Um, and so I went over there. And as it turned out, that something had come up and the judge had decided to continue the case anyway. So I didn't have to be in that position. But I, I was really nervous when I went back because it was like this, my reprimand was, um, I had to show my presentations to the county or the state board. I had to get along with justice partners. What does that mean? I was going to say, why do you have yeah. to get along? Oh, as chief public defender, right? And by justice partners, let me be clear, prosecutors and judges. Those were the people I was supposed to get along with as chief public defender. And um, there was a time when the judges were going to open uh, the courthouses for out-of-custody misdemeanors, so incredibly low-level offenses. It was before public defenders were appointed, and they would summon people to come into court, and people would come into court with COVID because they were afraid of getting a bench warrant, a warrant for their arrest. Um, and so I pushed back, and this was before vaccinations. I pushed back. I was in the paper saying they don't have a safety plan. And I had been um, chastised after that by the head of public safety in Hennepin County, who said, you are to consider yourself part of the Hennepin family, and you're not to air the family's dirty laundry in public. 
telling me this as chief public defender. So one of the biggest things that I had to get through was there, there was a period of time where I was really nervous and just anxiety ridden about, you know, everything that I did being under a microscope. But I reached a point where it was like, I need to be true to myself. Um, I need to do the things that I know are right for our staff, for me, for our clients. And if I get fired, that's outside of my control. I need to align my decisions with my values and live with that. And from then on, I felt less anxiety. I knew it could still happen, but I knew, you know, I can't live like this, um, analyzing decisions based on whether it was going to get me in trouble. I had to do the right thing. So that really strengthened my belief in my resilience and my ability to stick to my values and make sure that the decisions that I made were aligned with my values. And I think that will really help me going forward. And honestly, Mary, with that story is the reason why I've come out a little bit more from behind the curtains and actually have taken that jump mm-hmm. of making sure I, I utilize my voice at times. A lot of individuals that I know that are close to me see that I like to stay behind the curtains, but Sorry, but because somebody like you has made me, because you experience, I'm sorry, what a lot of people of color experience oh. when they have to think that they have to lose their, they could lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. And I have to always think about that. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you. And thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Parlay. But before we leave, what's a special song that takes you? To a happy place. Well, I came up with two, um, which <laughs> are a strange combination. These were songs, by the way, when I was campaigning and I'm in my car driving along. When either one of these came on, I would just get a smile on my face. I'd be like, yeah, and I'd be singing in the car. Um, the first one <laughs> is The Sound of Music. <laughs> Because I actually had an opportunity to go to Salzburg and see the the meadow where Julie Andrews was spinning around. And it's like, yeah, you know, who doesn't like the sound of music? Um, We're going to have to have you reenact that someday, too. Oh, uh, no. Um, and um, Tupac's California. <laughs> That's the other one. So, yes, I acknowledge a very strange combination. But those are two songs um, that make me very happy. And when I'm driving down the road, I'm like, yeah, and I'm singing along to them. Well, I can't wait to hear that mashup. Uh, me either. And so thank you once again for joining us with Parlay. I'm honored. Thank you for inviting me to and be we're, here. We're letting you go with a little special something <laughs> for Mary. Can't wait to see you do that spin. Have a great evening, Minnesota. See you at the next episode.